This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us again this morning by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I love hiking. Uh, My mum tells me I hiked my first mountain in the Lake District in England when I was five years old. The mountain is called the Old Man of Coniston. Maybe I should uh, hike it again. Um, Well, thank you, someone's listening. Uh, While I don't recall that particular mountaintop experience, I have many fond memories of other times in the mountains. My love of the Lake District has never waned. It is one of my favorite places in the whole world. I I must have been there more than 50 times, and Andrea and I are looking forward to a week hiking there again this coming summer. There's something very special about climbing a mountain. There's often a great sense of achievement and the reward of spectacular views. A few years ago, I I had the privilege of participating in a clergy leadership retreat in Colorado. And this included some pretty serious hiking. Indeed, for four nights, we camped just below the snow line at about 11,800 feet. And our time up in the mountains included a day of fasting and solitude. That is a day I will never forget. I want to read from you a brief extract from a journal I wrote on that trip. And the entry is dated July the 19th, 2015, and it begins, I met the Lord, and then I kind of wrote out a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and the depth of my soul. You answered my prayers. You heard my cries. You came to me. I don't know how to put into words the experience and encounter I have had with you these past couple of hours. You restored my soul. You led me. You came alongside me. Lord Jesus, I felt you walk alongside me. It was almost as if I could touch you. I knew you were there. Holy Spirit, thank you for comforting me, for encouraging me. And the entry goes on for about eight pages. Don't worry, I won't read it all. Um, describing the experience I had. And time and time again, I found scriptures came to my mind and songs, the words of songs and hymns came to my mind. I was completely on my own. I didn't see anybody else for about six hours. And yet I was profoundly conscious of the presence of the Lord. And at one point, I I turned a corner and and saw llamas grazing. Now, that wasn't so surprising given that we'd had llamas carry up the tents on this hike, but I hadn't seen them for four days. It was a bit of a shock, and I was reminded of Jesus in the wilderness being tended to by wild beasts. Well, nothing happened with those wild beasts, thankfully, but, um, but it was just a moment of deep and surprising comfort. Well, I want to just read one more brief extract from my journal I wrote this. All I need is Jesus. 
Wave upon wave of weeping, wave upon wave of sensing God's presence. I didn't want it to end. It was like nothing I had experienced before. The intimacy of his presence, the depth of connection I felt with the Lord. Truly amazing, truly awesome, truly so very humbling. A true mountaintop experience with the Lord. Wow, that he should have met with me. I cannot find words. Now, I know that I'm not alone or particularly special in having had such an experience. Many Christians down the ages can testify and have testified to similar encounters, experiences of God. And I should imagine there are thousands of people today who might describe similar powerful experiences and encounters with God right now at Asbury University. For the past 10 days, there's been a continuing con gathering of folks in the chapel. It started out as a regular 10-minute chapel service. Have you, hands up if you've heard about what's going on in Asbury. Okay, many of you. It's all over social media, it's on mainstream media, and now thousands of people have come from all over the country and even from around the world. Now, I'm not sure quite what to make of it. And, you know, my cynical side is alive and well and can always come up with rationalizations. But I'm content, at least for now, to think that perhaps this is one of those mountaintop experiences, if you like, for many, many people. And we'll get a clearer understanding, perhaps, uh, in time based on the fruit of what may come from this Asbury experience. Well, our gospel reading today describes what must surely be the greatest mountaintop experience of all time. In it, we encounter three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, three of the great apostles, up on a mountain with Jesus by themselves. And there, right in front of them, Jesus is transfigured. Matthew tells us his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Matthew continues, suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now that's a conversation I would love to have been able to eavesdrop. You may recall that both Moses and Elijah had previously had their own mountaintop experiences. Moses on where? Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments. And uh, Elijah, where, did he, where was his mountaintop experience? Hmm. No, not Mount Sinai. Next. Shout it out. I, I can't hear it, but that may be me. Mount Carmel. Oh, we got somebody got it right. Well done at the back. Yes, very good. Um, and that was the occasion when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, and there's this great big showdown. And it's a great story, but the culmination of it is that God answers powerfully in uh, sending uh, fire and rain. But let's go back to the transfiguration. Here is Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law, the Ten Commandments. And Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus, well, he is superior to both. Indeed, by the end of this account, it is just Jesus who's left there. This is 
one of the rare glimpses we have of the divine nature of Jesus. So often in the Gospels, and I'm so grateful we have this in the Gospels, we get more of Jesus's humanity. We encounter him tired and hungry, weeping, tempted, weak. But here, we see him transfigured in radiant glory. The transfiguration of our Lord is a scene of mystery and splendor. And yet, in the midst of it, there is something very real and human about this scene as well. I'm so glad that Jesus called Peter to be one of his disciples and closest friends. For if God could use Peter, there is hope for us all, maybe even me. There is Jesus, gloriously, miraculously, wonderfully transfigured before their very eyes. And what does Peter do? He starts to talk. And he opens his mouth and jumps right in both feet first. Verse 4, and this is my own paraphrase, what a good job we're here, he says. I'm a pretty handy fellow. If you like, I can easily put together a few shelters for us. Maybe he was just nervous. Maybe it was a bumbling attempt at showing hospitality. Or maybe he just wanted to hold on to this wonderful moment. But Peter was right when he said it's good for us to be here. It certainly was. What an awe-inspiring experience to be present and see and experience the majesty and power of Jesus, the Son of God. And this experience was no doubt something that must have stayed with him and the others throughout their lives. And through this and their other encounters with God, the disciples were changed. From being simple fishermen, they were transformed to being apostles. Instead of fishing for fish, they fished for people. But it wasn't until they stopped and listened that the power and the force of the experience around them made its mark. Verse 5, it was while Peter was still speaking that suddenly a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And from that cloud, a voice came saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then they fell to the ground in fear. Then they stopped. Then they listened. I wonder how often are we like Peter, so caught up in what we should do or say, ever busy and bustling and running from this thing to the next, that we don't stop and listen. We can miss the very presence of God in our world, in our daily lives, maybe even here, maybe even today. I think that's what happened with Peter. He was present at what must rank as, you know, one of the all-time greatest worship experiences ever held on earth. Jesus was physically there, and Moses, and Elijah, and Jesus is transfigured. It's an amazing scene. And yet, Peter gets distracted wanting to build these booths, whether through fear or foolishness, impulse or ignorance. We don't know. And likewise, it is possible for us to be present here this morning and yet not meet with Jesus, even though he is here with us 
by the Holy Spirit. The liturgy, the music, the preaching, and the Eucharist, each in their own ways, are but vehicles through which we are invited to draw near to the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet in that invitation, there is also an element of work involved in worship. Indeed, liturgy means the work of the people. Just as Peter, James, and John had to hike up the mountain, likewise, we have to make an effort to come into God's presence, whether by getting to church on a Sunday morning or carving out time in our busy schedules throughout the week, deliberately to come into God's presence and pray and read his word, be still and listen. Well, having climbed the mountain or having sat down at home with your Bible open or having arrived at church after wrestling your kids into the car or encouraging other family members out of the house, there is still another piece of work we have to do. I can't do it for you. The music team or the choir can't do it for you. And if the bishop was here, he couldn't do it for you. Oh, wait, the bishop is here. Oh, well. Welcome, uh, Bishop Alec and uh, Tamara. But he still can't do it for us. Because we, you, me, all of us, need to listen. We need to be attentive to the voice of God. There will always be distractions. I mean, you might love a particular hymn or a particular song, or you might loathe it. You might delight to see the face of one of the children sitting on the steps for the children's talk, or you might be wondering if the kid behind you will ever sit still. You might find the preaching engaging and challenging, or you might think you've heard it all before. But regardless of how you feel this morning, the Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. And He invites us to meet with Him, to worship Him, to be on our knees before Him and to listen for His voice. And then we're sent out week by week, renewed, transformed, ready if you like to go down the mountain. I'm sure you know what it's like to come away from a wonderful church service where we've worshipped God together, where we've been inspired, and we go home feeling uplifted and full of joy. At least I hope you sometimes feel like that. But then that Monday morning comes, or perhaps we receive some shattering news, and we experience life in all of its ugliness. And when that happens... We need to hold on to this truth that God is as much, if not more, in the valleys as he is on the mountaintops, if we will look and listen. After the transfiguration, Jesus led Peter, James, and John back down the mountain, back to the valley, to the real world, if you like, for that's where they had to live and work. And if you read what happens, lots of tough stuff happened. Sometimes it may even be in the very depths of grief or pain or suffering that we encounter God like we've never encountered him before. Many of you may know this quote, but C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, 
speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That has been proved true time and time again in Christian experience. Many a person has begun to think seriously about God only as a result and through suffering, through great pain perhaps. Many a Christian has known God's special comfort and presence even in the darkest times of their lives. I certainly have. The Bible promises to all who believe that one day we will all be changed. We will, if you like, be able to trade in our frail, decaying mortal bodies for a new body, like that of Jesus' glorious resurrection body, like that of Moses and Elijah who appeared with Jesus when he was transfigured before the disciples. There are many things in this life for which we will never have a complete or satisfactory answer. And I think one of them is the existence of pain and suffering. But let us never forget this. God is not immune from suffering. Indeed, if he were, I don't think I could do what I do. As Jesus leads the disciples down the Mount of Transfiguration, he tells them that he is going to have to suffer. Indeed, the Transfiguration in Matthew's Gospel marks the watershed. It, is, it marks the beginning of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and to his crucifixion. So whether you encounter God in the depths of the valley of the shadow of death or high up on a mountain of joy, we need ourselves to be transfigured, if you like, to be changed by God so that we may become more like Jesus. Jesus is able to transform us into his likeness so that we may radiate the love of God. And when that happens, others will know and experience something of God's presence. Not only in some mountaintop experience, wonderful though they can be, but also in the very depths of pain or suffering. We cannot live for the mountaintop, literal or figurative, from our past or hoped for in the future. And so please don't think that if you're not having some mountaintop experience that there's something wrong with you. Most of our lives are spent in the ordinariness of our daily routines, which require us to carry on in the valleys, to take up the responsibilities of work or family or living with illness or grief or disappointment or just the mundane. And yet, it is as we go out and continue living in the valleys that we may be thrilled to find that God is already there and he is with us. Jesus was often looking for signs of God's presence to, to show others, uh, not just up in the heavens, if you like, but all around him. He would be walking along and he'd point something out to his disciples. See this child? You must be like a child to enter the kingdom of God. See this mustard seed? If you had faith as great as this, and it's tiny, you can move mountains. See that lamp? Your lamps. See this cup? 
and this bread. Whenever you see them and partake of them, remember what I've done for you. And so this week, I want to invite you to look for signs of God's glory, signs of his presence, signs of his love, and signs of his work. Here again, what the voice said from the cloud to the disciples, the words of God for all of us. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And to sum up in the words of Pope Francis writing on this scene and those words of Jesus, of God. Listen to him and follow him. That's the message of the transfiguration. Amen.